When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They don't do Brian like they do in Droitwich. Good evening and welcome to Pint of Football, where much like Leon Bailey, we're just about ready to accept that we aren't going to be the next big thing after all. I am Daz, failed wonder kid Napton, and as always, I have the pleasure of being joined by Tom, what could have been Meadowcroft. Uh-huh. Uh, we're jumping right back in the mix today with this latest episode, which can only mean that we are also pleased to be joined by Andy. Rotation player, Baxter. <laughs> Hi, Daz. Thanks for having me. Hi, Tom. Right. Love to rotate. So for anyone who uh, missed the first episode of this in the mix special, we're trying to work out when football peaked. Um, before we started this, we gave very boring one-dimensional answers about when we thought football might have peaked, which uh, for Tom was um, after the back-to-back promotion for Bristol Rovers a few years ago. For Baxter and myself, it was more the sort of back end of the 90s, early 2000s time. I think specifically I'd said World Cup 2002 was one of my favourite times of the game. But we didn't really have the full extensive knowledge of all the football to be able to make the true decision of when football actually peaked. So we started off and we've got as far forward as August 1889. And I can't actually truly remember what's happened so far apart from there was something about weird sized crossbar i think in in london it was and a then, new team in sheffield oh that was it which warranted a story because they made a team snuck off the other side of the city and had a friendly which they lost which again isn't exactly um show-stopping stuff but, it's kind of amazing that they've just managed to note down all the really tedious stuff. Like yeah. there's no there's no dogs on the pitch or like two footers or you know 
Yeah, we are going to get to some of the better stuff. I mean, I've just literally opened a random page, which was from 1948, which just has the title, When Two Players Died. <laughs> so, um, oh, my. I'm guessing there's more stuff to come. But for now, we go back to 1891. And this is the first time I'm actually starting to feel like we're in peak football territory because we're in cold December snowy Burnley this is already sounding yeah yeah this is it It already sounds more like you're going to be enjoying this story so let's crack on snow was falling very heavily and it was one of the coldest weeks of the year no one felt much like playing football certainly none of the Blackburn Rovers players did but being mainly professionals they came out of the pavilion to take on Burnley. So a northwest derby in the snow. I think this has got to be a better start to the last two, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Much more promising so far. It's going to be a lot of tension, a lot of rivalry. No yeah. one's going to get want to lose a big derby game. I've yeah. got a load of like secondhand sort of unpleasant things to call Burnley from um, me and Daz's mate at Uni Nash. Like, um, is he going to have oh, to beat this out? A Burnley fans chatting to Blackburn fans. You're going down with the Blackpool. You're going down with the Blackpool, and then Blackburn fans replying with, "You're going down on your sister, down on your sister." <laughs> <laughs> Just well, delightful. I'm sure in 1891 those chants would have been rife. I wonder if football chants <laughs> existed back then. Not only that, I like to think of the first guy that started it. Everyone just sort of turned and looked at him. <laughs> what the hell are you doing, Montgomery? Yeah, yeah. I'm, Silence, man. They probably had, like, local jesters back then who were sort of brought in to do the chanting on behalf of the teams. Uh, maybe they had a half-time fight just to keep things in- interesting. <laughs> like minstrels. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we can only speculate on that. This is what we do know, though. Conceding three goals in the first 25 minutes did nothing to raise the spirits of Blackburn. Already, it was a tetchy game. Two players squared up to each other in a bid to keep warm. Um, Okay. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And when halftime arrived, everybody apparently was pleased. The 10 minute interval passed. Yeah, well, like 10 minute interval pass, so it's not a huge amount of time to get to the bar. I wonder when the 15 minute, uh, maybe we'll find out later in this book. It seems like the sort of thing it'll cover when the 15 minute break came in. Burnley were on the field after the 10 minute break, but there was no sign of Blackburn Rovers. The referee was the notorious J.C. Clegg from Sheffield, a high ranking FA official and a man to stand no nonsense. <laughs> Can we just speculate on what JC standard for? Jesus Christ Clegg. Who <laughs> <laughs> said Jesus didn't exist? He was around in the 1890s, for Christ's sake. Referring um, in Lancashire. Anyway, he did not like the cold, and nor did he like waiting in the cold. He warned the teams that he would start in two minutes, regardless of if the teams were out. And after waiting four... No one had come out from Rovers' team. Tempers started to rise. The feuding players from the first half both got sent off for some reason. Again, um, lack of detail. 
They record like trivial stuff. The referee's name is strange, but not what actually happened to two fellas to get sent off. Yeah, I'm just starting to quiz <laughs> this because what happened was they've said none of the players from Rovers came out. So how did he give him a red card? Did he storm into the dressing room and just give him a red? I mean, it could have been two on the on the Burnley team that were just having a bit of a. Oh yeah, night. it might be a yeah. um, a warm yeah, yeah, one of them warm fights that you hear about. <laughs> oh, um, Lee Bowyer and uh, Kieran, Kieran Dyer. Dyer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they got sent off for fighting each other. Maybe it was that sort of scenario. Anyway, all the Blackburn players, apart from goalkeeper Herbie Arthur, realised it was so cold and actually just left, which meant that... Fuck this. Yeah, which meant that just the goalkeeper was there. The referee carried the match on, apparently, which meant it was Burnley against Blackburn's goalkeeper. Oh, okay. This just got good. (laughs) Um, So then we get a bit of background on Herbie. Herbie Arthur was nearing the end of his tremendous career with Blackburn Rovers. He joined the club as a right half in 1880. I don't know what that is. Maybe like a right centre-back, if I was to guess, or maybe a right-back or something. Sounds a bit wing-back-ish, doesn't it? Half, like halfway between one and the other. I don't know, maybe not. Yeah. It's like old money, isn't it? Like everyone in football used to be called like a outside direction or an inside thing. Yeah. Anyway, he volunteered to go in goal in the reserve team for some reason when a vacancy occurred with no obvious replacement. So he was the right half decided to go in goal for the reserves and then ended up being in net for the first team. Um, Everyone thinks they can be a goalkeeper. We all remember Harry Kane in Europa. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, it sort of raises a question. If you're a bad player and you're sort of like the John O'Shea of the team, you kind of expect to get chucked in goal. But if you're the team's best player, and it says here, he played in Rovers' FA Cup final win in the 1880s, and became an established England international. So for him to just so much, man. for him, yeah, for him to just drop it and go, I'm off in net for the reserves now seems very suspect. Do you not think very very different there? game? Do you not think it would have been weirder if he'd have just played right half against Burnley's team though? Yeah, no one in goal, just just running around, <laughs> like a right. absolute mental case. But none of that would come close to this, and this was his biggest test. Burnley restarted the game and went straight in on goal, of course. I mean, what else are they going to do? Um, (laughs) Herbie Arthur saw the team running down, and when a pass was made, he shouts, offside, and it was given. What? It was given. (laughs) I was thinking on his feet. Jason Clegg's having a mouth. Clegg just, he's lost it by this point. He's freezing. He's sending players off. He's calling offside when there's no players to go against. I believe I survived Spanish flu for this. And yeah, that followed an eternal period of time wasting back when you could take as long as you wanted to have your free kick. And he just basically stood there watching the time go down. He had no one to pass the ball to, so he just dallied as long as he could. And eventually, the referee gave up and abandoned the match. <laughs> wow. Okay, okay, that was a win. Yeah. Well, he, uh, he, he won 3-0, didn't he? 
Yeah, no, they were three 0 down. Oh, oh, that's a shame. Which I guess is probably why he was happy to just call it off because if you if you lose by forfeit, they usually just allocate a three 0 win, don't they? So he mm. probably just thought, sod this, let's let's sack it off and go in for a broth or something like that. But two days later, Herbie Arthur was given a benefit, whatever that means, when Rovers played Sunderland. So it all ended happy for Herbie. That could really be like, like a testimonial. I don't know. Maybe it benefits like <laughs> water cash or something. Maybe, well, it was the 1800s. It might have just been like a, a goat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really hope so. <laughs> Go, what, old what am I meant to do with this? <laughs> I've played right half now. Yeah, you got a teammate. Don't worry yeah. about it. So yeah, I think that's definitely the best, most flavoursome story so far. Very good. Do we think? Do we think that was the peak of football yet? Uh, six out of ten. It's it's going in the right direction, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're starting to motor now. I think that's good to know. And um, this next one is another goalkeeping story. Andy Baxter is a uh, goalkeeper yourself. I'm sure you'll be enjoying these goalkeeping tales, hopefully picking up a few tips for your uh, veterans team. Yeah, absolutely. Just tell your lads not to come back out for the second half. Just me and the goat. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> Baxter and his goat wins 3-0. <laughs> right, so this next story, back to London, March 1892, and it's called The Trusted Goalkeeper. So I'm guessing you can guess what the tone of this one's going to be. When Aston Villa reached the 1892 FA Cup final, one of the stars of the team was 27-year-old Jimmy Warner, a fine and trusted goalkeeper. They keep saying trusted already, which very much is to lead you into the direction of what's about to happen. <laughs> they never say the sneaky, dastardly... Of Crew Alexandra, Brent Fockknuckle. Yeah. Five years earlier, Warner had kept goals so magnificently that many said he had won Villa the FA Cup. Now Villa was seven to four favourites to win the FA Cup again. Dot, dot, dot. But the bookmakers reckoned without the strangest performance of Jimmy Warner's career. Hmm. So. We've had mention of trusted goalkeeper twice, and we've also had mention twice of bookies. Bookmakers, yeah. It's only going one way, this, isn't it? Let's see. Villa's short odds for the FA Cup final were more than justified given their success in the league. They were pressing for the championship. On the other hand, their cup final opponents, West Bromwich Albion, were languishing in the relegation zone. So we're on to another rival match, which is always um, always a bonus as well. They're kind of all rival matches in those days, weren't they? Yeah, I guess so. Um, Rovers, when they formed, were in the Birmingham like District League. Oh, yeah. That's how like desperate we were. A week before the final, Villa flexed their muscles with a 12-2 win against Accrington. Then the team went to Holt Fleet for... Special training. Oh, wow. Could be nice. Um, which apparently included running exercises, the, the height of special training, and brine baths in Droitwich. <laughs> Why in Droitwich? <laughs> Got brine like nowhere else, lads. 
<laughs> they don't do brine like they do in Droitwich. <laughs> on the Tuesday, when it snowed, always seemed to be snowing back then, the quick-thinking trainer moved the players into a 70-yard boat shed and continued the preparation undercover. It doesn't sound very special, this training, does it? It sounds a bit third-world, if we're being honest. First thing you mentioned was running. What are they doing normal <laughs> training? We've got Just a, like new... a casual stroll around, cigarettes. <laughs> We've got a new like sports science developed technique, guys, for, for training you up. It's called running. It's like when you walk twice. <laughs> well, to me, when I first read it said special training, I just assumed it was going to be um, a code for pub crawl. Mm. But, yeah, know, they say team bonding don't they, these days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Already during this pre-cup final week, Jimmy Warner was being noticed, not by players, not by spectators or the press, but by Villa committee members who were monitoring the goalkeeper's activities. <laughs> Probably a bit suspicious while he was in the brine bath, maybe. <laughs> doing a... I'm so slippery. <laughs> <laughs> catch me, catch me. <laughs> Let's hope this brine washes off before the final, or I'm going to let a whole load of goals in. It was alleged that Warner would not go through the same training schedule as the other players, and that instead of remaining with his teammates, he preferred the company of a certain person to whom the committee objected and who had actually been with him at Holt Fleet against the wish of the committee. Was the special person William Hill? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, that's been quoted, so presumably it's been taken from some historic book or newspaper, but the whole sentence is just a bit of a weird one. Anyway... Cup final day. There was about 30,000 people at Kennington Oval. Some of them perched precariously on top of the mighty gas holder back in the day when just Fine. precariously perch on a gas holder. A mighty I one mean, at that. If you're going to perch somewhere, you know, might as well insert a bit of jeopardy. It's the worst that can happen. Most people knew that on paper, Aston Villa should win by a street. In West Brom's first attack, Jasper Geddes, if that's how it's <laughs> sent in a screw shot. What the hell's a what? screw shot? Is he playing snooker? I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's I mean, we know there's some different rules back then, but I've certainly never heard of a screw shot before. Have you ever saved a screw shot back? Well, I hope so. Maybe. Depends right. how, how covered in Brian I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what happened. It was later described in the press as a terrible blunder. Warner received the ball, but it seemed to spin out of his hands and the first goal was scored for the Albion only three minutes from the start. Jimmy Cowan put in a free kick straight into the West Brom goal net. Nets were being used in a cup final for the first time. So we got and rid of the uh, line of small children. Yeah, yeah. But as nobody touched the ball, the free kick didn't count. So it was an indirect free kick. Do they still have indirect free kicks? I think I, so. I think handball is an indirect free kick offence. How is it? Because they've got that thing that's like, it's like a penalty, but worse. Oh, yeah. For the, for the defending team. <laughs> yeah. The only, time, the only time I've ever seen it is at a pre-season game at Macclesfield. No, um, Mangotsfield. 
And I was just like, what the hell's going on? What are they doing? And then someone had to explain the rules to me in about five seconds. And I remember Lee Mansell like took it like a champ to the face at about oh, two paces. I remember when I played uh, junior football, they used to get given all the time because um, they'd often be like moments of madness where no one in defence had anything to do. <laughs> so they'd just like pass it back to the keeper. And, They're uh, just children. They have to know the rules. Yeah, it was a bit like that. And there was also, there was a rule as well about goal kicks, I think, where, I think this has only just changed, actually. You weren't around, allowed to receive the ball inside the box from a goal kick. Yeah, and that's very recent, we used yeah. to get caught out all the time with that. So our goalkeeper didn't like kicking it. So he'd just like pass it to the centre back. And you'd just turn around and be like, no, we don't want this here. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. Yeah, the goal didn't count because no one touched it, blah, blah, blah. For 20 minutes, Villa used the win to stay on top. Then Jimmy Warner had his second chance to shine. Newspaper reports, Warner partly muffed it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing needs to be added there, does it? Um, and Nichols rushed in to send it through the posts. After halftime, it was 2-0 to West Brom against the wind, against the odds. Against the muff. It makes you wonder what happened if he'd have fully muffed it, doesn't it? <laughs> Still went in. We've had a screwball and a muff in this final. I think the uh, guy that was writing this needs to get laid. This yeah. match report. So let's see what happens in the second half. Can they redeem themselves? In the 55th minute, West Brom's player who was called Baldy Reynolds. Jesus. Shot from 40 yards. Or for anyone who's interested, 36.6 metres. Warner, <laughs> Warner was hopelessly out of position. 3-0 to Albion. Oof. Although Aston Villa dominated the rest of the game, they could not score. Reporters chose words like lamentable exhibition to describe <laughs> Jimmy Warner's afternoon's work. And Villa fans started their inquests. Mm. Attention switched to the old college public house at Spring Hill because Warner was the landlord. That evening, supporters sought retribution by smashing all of the windows in his pub. Oh, Jesus. A rumour spread. Warner had lost money on a big sporting bet, so the goalkeeper had thrown the FA Cup final to recoup his money. <gasps> wow. Warner denied this saying he had bet £18 to 12 against West Brom winning and even £1 on them not scoring back in the days where you could literally just uh, bet on your own team's displays <laughs> and no one would think anything of it apart from if you uh, uh, throw the game. Um, a simpler what, time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why would he want his business to suffer, his wife blackguarded and a mob threatening his pub Show his us your what, proof. Uh, Blackguarded. <laughs> There's a lot of strange words in this uh, passage, Daz. Word of the day, blackguarded. So what was Warner's response? He simply said, show us your proof. He also promised to give his accusers a good thrashing if necessary. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to sort of prove your innocence, isn't it? <laughs> You all, anyone who I'll thinks you I've, 
Yeah, anyone who thinks I've taken a bong, come and stand outside my pub tomorrow in a queue and I'll take you on. I'll fight the lot of you. Alas, the next Wednesday, a few days before a vital league game with Sunderland, Warner failed to show for training. The next set of rumours claimed he had taken flight from his pub with a week's takings and a servant girl. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like a low, a low. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. Fielding a deputy goalkeeper, Villa lost at Sunderland, finished fourth in the league and went down 2-0 to West Brom in the semi-final of the Birmingham Cup. Overall, a very bitter end. Jimmy Warner had played his last game for Aston Villa. The next team he would show up for was Newton Heath, who were the original Man United. And no doubt thankful that not every newspaper had uh, picked up on his bizarre display in the final. It seems as though he basically just moved to a new city. And back then you could just obviously start a fresh life. and Everything was forgotten. Great. Hope that, yeah. Do you think he wore a moustache? Maybe, or changed his name to, like, Timmy Warner instead. This is my wife's servant girl. Yeah. <laughs> God. So, what do we think of that, then, Bax? A lot to enjoy. It, whether it's peaked or not, I'm not sure, but it's certainly very enjoyable, and I'm glad it made it into the book. What What about you, Tom? Are you, I mean, apart from the, <laughs> learning some new words... That's pretty good. That's peak so far. Mm. I wouldn't like to claim um, ultimate peakage. Well, you know, are many other stories going to have? Servant Girls, Brian. Um... <laughs> Brian and Servant Girls. <laughs> well, <laughs> now, now we're Why talking. Well, I think that's got to be it, hasn't it? We've got to end on a high, and I think that is as good as it's going to get. We've had we've had screwballs, we've had muffs, we've had droid twitch Brian. Um... <laughs> Do you need me right. to find a joke? I have one, if you like. Oh, go on. What's Elton John's favourite type of salad? I don't know what's Elton John's favourite type of salad. He's a rocket man. <laughs> Cheers, folks, and good night. See you, guys. Good night, guys. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.